This morning, our, uh, our passage comes from Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16, and then skipping up to, to 27, looking at verses 3 to 10. So for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to be going through a series we're going to call The Sounds of the Passion. The Sounds of the Passion. We'll be going through the book of Matthew, following Jesus and his disciples as they experience the last hours of Jesus' time here on earth. We'll be focusing intentionally on the sounds that take place during this time. And today we're going to start with the clinking of coins. Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 men that he spent a lot of time with, that he intentionally taught, that he let his hair down around. There are the more famous ones, Peter, James, John, Matthew, and Mark. They're the less well-known, the less famous ones, Thaddeus and Bartholomew. And there is the infamous, the nefarious one, Judas. Today, we're going to take a longer look at Judas. We're going to pick up his story in Matthew 26. There's a plot to kill Jesus by the chief priests and the elders of the Jewish people, but they need an inside man. And so we start reading in Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16, and then carrying on 27 and 3 to 10. Verse 14 of 26. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Following this, we have Judas leaving the Last Supper with Jesus early in order to betray him. And then we have Judas kissing Jesus on the cheek in the Garden of Gethsemane. The kiss being the signal that Jesus was the one who was to be arrested. And then picking up in verse 3 of 27. Then when Judas... His betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what has been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave, for the pot, they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. Betrayal. Betrayal. History is full of stories of betrayal, of treason. Many of us are are familiar with Marcus Junius Brutus and his betrayal of his uncle, Julius Caesar. 
He put the knife in his uncle's back, and we are left with the iconic phrase, Et tu, Brute? And you, Brutus? One of the most well-known traitors in American history is, is Benedict Arnold, the man who was a general during the American Revolutionary War. He, he fought for the Continental Army and then later defected to the British Army. What causes a person to commit treason? What causes a person to betray their allegiances? There can be many different reasons. For Brutus, he, he saw his uncle as corrupt and that he must be stopped for the good of the people, for the good of Rome, for the good of the country. For Benedict Arnold, he, he felt neglected and passed over. Those who were on his team continually abused their relationship. From his perspective, he was passed over for promotions and, and taxed unfairly. He looked at the way the war was going, didn't see how his side could win, plus how he had been taken advantage of by his side, felt betrayed himself, and so therefore was able to justify his own betrayal. We all have our reasons, our own justification for treachery. What was Judas's? What was Judas's? While the betrayals of Arnold and Brutus are, are pretty big deals, they pale in comparison to what Judas did. They betrayed country and blood, while Judas betrayed the Son of God. What would cause a man to do this? Some may argue that it was his greed. There are accounts that Judas was the, the caretaker of Jesus and the disciples' money. But that, I don't know, doesn't really hold water with me. If we do the math, Judas really didn't get paid that much for betraying Jesus. The 30 pieces of silver at that day and age would equate to roughly around $7,590 here in Bergenfield today. Now, $7,600 isn't necessarily a small amount of money, but it's also not what one would consider worthy of, of betraying a close associate for Especially when you knew that they would most likely be put to death. Suddenly, 7,600 is a relatively small number. So if not greed, why else would Judas betray a close friend? Why else would he betray the Son of God? John 6, verses 63 to 71 reads, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is Jesus talking. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were and who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he 
one of the twelve, was going to betray him. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Because he didn't believe Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. Throughout the New Testament, we never see Judas referred to Jesus as Lord, but only as rabbi, which means teacher. Like many of the Jewish people, Judas was looking for a political Messiah, one that would set the world right, one that would come and overthrow the Romans, that would give the Jews a homeland, that would establish their kingdom. And Jesus wasn't doing that. He, he wasn't a political leader. He wasn't overthrowing governments. And so Judas felt betrayed. He felt that Jesus was an imposter, and so it was time to get rid of him. And, and if he made a little money on the side, man, it wasn't going to hurt, right? Just a little bonus. Judas didn't believe in Jesus, and that is what led to the betrayal. And really, that was the betrayal. This man who spent years with Jesus, who who spent all this time in his company, who had been given all these wonderful truths, all this wonderful teaching, he, he didn't believe. He didn't believe it was true. He felt sorry about it, his betrayal, as you read in chapter 27, 3 to 10, where, where Judas tries to give the money back that he had received to, to betray Jesus, the blood money that was weighing in his hands and his heart. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He felt bad because he knew that Jesus had not done anything deserving death, and yet he does not acknowledge belief in Jesus himself as the Son of God as the Lord, as more than just his rabbi and friend. Nowhere do we see in Scripture Judas as a believer. We see him as a disciple. We see him as a betrayer. We see him conflicted with guilt. We do not see him believe. Thinking of Judas how he sold out the Savior of the world, how he refused to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, I, I find myself asking the question, am I like Judas? Am I like Judas? I have sin that I struggle with daily. I have, in my own way, betrayed Jesus. And that despite the fact that he gave his life for me, I still continue to sin. That despite the reality that that he paid the price for my sin, I continue to sin. Willingly adding to my debt. The debt that has been paid. Despite knowing what God wants me to do, despite knowing what I should be doing, I still stumble, I still fall, I still partake of the sin that my sinful nature desires and in so doing betray the gift that Jesus has given me betray 
Jesus. Can you relate to those feelings? Can you relate to that question? Am I like Judas? In this struggle against sin and my failure, my in this struggle against sin and my failures to win every time, is that is that not also betraying Jesus? Am I like Judas? Left alone to my own devices? Yeah. I I am. Because on my own, apart from Jesus, I have no ability to save myself. I have no ability to believe. I am lost in my sin with no ability to believe. As as Stephen Mueller puts it, not only does being afflicted by original sin mean that we now lack the ability to pursue what is good, it also means that we necessarily pursue what is evil. We are predisposed to sin. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Apart from Christ and, and his work in our lives, we are predisposed to sin. There's, I mean, that's where our natural inclination brings us. We seek it out. We naturally move that direction, and yet in spite of my natural inclinations, in spite of my original sin, in spite of the reality that I am predisposed to sin, I am not like Judas at all. I am not like Judas at all because of God's work in my life. Because of his saving work in my heart and my mind, I am not like Judas at all. Because I believe. Though the sin that led Judas to betray his teacher, his friend, his rabbi, the sin that was in him is also in me. I am not like Judas at all. Because God has given me belief. As we read in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice how Paul is writing in the past tense, this is what we were. This is where we were. And then he picks up, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Picking up in verse 8. Don't miss this. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that we are able to resist the old nature. It is by grace that God has given us faith. It is by grace that God has called you, has drawn you into relationship with him. It is by grace that we have been given faith and that faith has been instilled in us by grace. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is the gift of God. Those who are believers have no opportunity to pat themselves on the back for their belief. Faith has been given to us, instilled in us. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. In our family, things get a little crazy around Christmas time. I know Christmas has passed, but we're going to go back there just for a little bit. It gets a little nuts, right? Like, it gets crazy. We got, we got the five kids, and they're back. Like, the, the, the two oldest, they're not in school for a chunk of time there. And everything is going nuts. And we've, we've got all these Christmas presents. And it is tempting for me to go, yeah, you know, you got to calm it down. you got to take it down, like, five notches or you don't get your presents. Right? Like, that, that's... That's tempting for me. It's like, yeah, you see this big box? It's all wrapped. You don't get it unless, unless you chill out. But if I did that, then I wouldn't be giving my children a gift, would I? I'd be giving my children a reward for something that they had earned because they had been good. And so now, because you've been good, now you can have this gift. But that's, not, that's not giving a gift. That's giving an award. A gift is not earned. A gift is not deserved. A gift is given because the giver wants to give it. The giver loves the one they are giving the gift to, the the, the recipient. And says, man, because I care about you, because I love you, because I want you to have this, here is this gift. It's not something we earn. There is so much more joy to be found in giving what is not deserved than there is to be presenting what is earned. It gives me great joy to watch my children open their presents on, on Christmas morning. And that joy wouldn't, it wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be the same if it was, here's your award. Here's what you get for being good three days ago because I was losing my mind to your loud noise and running and fighting and whatever else was going on. A gift is not something you earn. It is not something you deserve. It is something you are given despite the fact that you haven't earned it and don't deserve it. Back to that that passage. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. All this was given To us, it is a gift of God. So, am 
I like Judas? Is the sin that I committed in my life, the betrayal that, is to, that it is to Jesus, does, does that make me like Judas? If you are a Christian, the answer is no. If you believe in Jesus, that he came and died for your sin on the cross, that he needed to come and die on the cross because you couldn't make it right yourself, and then, furthermore, that he rose from the dead, conquering death and sin, then, then no. You are not like Judas, for God in his unlimited grace and mercy has saved you from yourself. And now when God looks at you, he sees not your sin, not your betrayal, but his son, whom he loves so much. If you are not a Christian, then yes, you are like, like Judas. But God doesn't want you to be. God is calling you. He is reaching out to you and drawing you unto himself. He longs to have relationship with you. That's why he sent Jesus. To repair the divide between man and God. To allow mankind to be reconciled unto God. And he desires that for you. He longs to have you as part of his family. As we hear the the clinking of coins, the 30 pieces of silver that, that Judas betrayed his master for. And we associate that with Judas. There's often a sick feeling that can come as we think of the 30 pieces of silver, the price put on the head of the Son of God, and the ultimate betrayal. But instead of that sick feeling, let us rejoice. For the clinking of coins is a reminder that God has saved us. That as Christians, we are not like Judas. For we believe. And even that very belief is a gift from God. Who gives all good things. Amen. Praise the Lord.